As ranchers, we're always looking ahead to determine what these cattle prices will look like for the coming year, too. Once we get through this flush of cattle, this market could really crank up, but it is going to face some barriers and ceilings. Clint Barry with Superior Livestock joins me again today as we rehash the cattle facts report from the recent 2023 cattle convention in New Orleans. We're going to go through the factors that are going to increase the prices in our markets, as well as the factors that could limit margins. If I had one scare of us looking forward, it would be maintaining and making sure that we have access to those export markets. The market is gearing up to provide us as ranchers with leverage. So where are you? This is probably not going to be a time in the next few years that we should put our heads in the sand and hope it all works out. We're talking the cattle market outlook today on this episode of the Working Ranch Radio Show. Welcome you here to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills. Thanks for joining us here on our program today. This is episode 105, and I say that so that if you want to go back and listen to it on our podcast site at workingranchradio.com, you can find it there. 105 is the episode number. It's easy to share it there, like it there. We appreciate the feedback as well. If you like what you're hearing, let us know, because then we know that kind of the direction helps me at least to know which direction we need to be heading towards uh, towards future shows, and I'm going to share with you in our very last segment today what we're working on for upcoming shows a lot of that has to do with feedback that we've heard uh, from you all the listener and so we do appreciate that so very much our show here today yeah we're going to be taking a look at our cattle markets Uh, just coming back from new orleans louisiana at the 2023 cattle convention was able to sit in on the ever popular Cattle Facts report that takes place during the uh, second general session of there of that. And uh, Clint Berry with Superior Livestock is going to be joining us. Clint Berry has been a regular guest here for us. I always appreciate his take on it. I believe he's a, a man that gets around and sees a lot of cattle, handles a lot of cattle, owns some different uh, ventures in that, and can give us some really good dialogue and feedback, not only from his perspective as a representative for Superior Livestock, but also as a cattle owner himself. And so I appreciate him joining us here on the program. That is what we're going to be talking about on our program here today. A lot of really interesting information coming out of that. In general, some pretty good news for us as ranchers uh, for the upcoming market in the la- in the next several years, but also some things to be aware of. And no doubt for all of us, we're, uh, we're all dealing with higher inflation uh, rates or higher inflation that's causing things uh, like our input costs, many of those things, whether it's fuel or other things things, uh, interest rates as well that's affecting all of us. And that does have an, have a, have an in, a tendency to uh, impact our margins, no doubt. But So we're going to be talking about a lot of that. So I encourage you to stay with us here through our program on that. And then, of course, at the very end of our show or close to the end, meteorologist Don Day will be joining us as we take a look at our long-term weather. Right now, thank you to our sponsors of our segment here today, the American Semental Association. And we are right in the middle. If uh, some have already happened, but but we are definitely in the throes of bull buying season. I would encourage you to uh, take a look at a survey that was done by the American Simmental Association a few years ago. And did you know that one of the largest growth in bull breed types during that time was bulls with sim genetics? And finding out that, boy, the natural way of putting some gain on these cow, the, on these calves. And it doesn't matter whether you're terminal uh, operation or whether you're going to keep back some replacements. There's some real benefit to heterosis, which is why with Simmental, it's more per head period. Find out more at Simmental.org. Well, right now, let's check in with the captain, Tim O'Byrne, publisher and editor of Working Ranch Magazine for this week's edition of Tim's Two Cents. Hey, Justin. Hey, everybody out there in Working Ranch Radio Land. Fear not, spring has nowhere to go but towards us, so she's coming. This just in from the U.S. Cattlemen's Association. Uh, bipartisan uh, several representatives announced plans on, to reintroduce the Strengthening Local Processing Act. The bill would create a competitive grant program for small and very small establishments, state-inspected facilities, custom-exempt facilities, or new small-scale slaughter facilities. It would also create two new grant programs for meat processing workforce training, one for colleges, universities, nonprofits, 
worker training centers, and others, and one for small and very small establishments or non-governmental organizations to offset the cost of training new meat processors. Now, U.S. Cattlemen's Association President Justin Tupper has this to say about it. The Strengthening Local Processors Act would provide independent processors with both funding programs and technical assistance to help build a successful business. It creates an institutional career training program to work towards building a pipeline of talented individuals interested in making a career out of providing a high quality and nutritious food source for their fellow Americans. Folks, check it out, U.S. Cattlemen's Association. And Justin, back to you. All right. Thanks, Captain. As you were talking about there at the very beginning about spring is ever closing in on us. That's encouraging, no doubt. But uh, Groundhog Day this year showed Poxitani Phil showing uh, that it will not be an early spring. Now, we don't have do so much on the groundhogs out here, but we do on the prairie dogs. And according to all the prairie dogs, they're saying we got a little bit more <laughs> winter left as well. And I think that's what meteorologist Don Day is going to tell us a bit for parts of the country. So we're going to get into that with him later on in the program. But coming up next in our next segment, we've got three uh, segments here as Clint Berry joining us. We're going to be talking about the cattle markets and rehashing from the 2023 Cattle Convention, the Cattle Facts Report that came out there. We'll get into that when we return on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Starting off in the right direction is essential to gaining an advantage later when you go to market your calves. And I have proof that the right direction is with Sim Angus Sired Calves. A 2020 study by K-State showed that Sim Angus sired steer calves earn more at sale time than all other breed identified sire groups with at least 50 lots represented on Superior Livestock's 2020 summer sales. The proof's right there. For low-risk, high-potential calves with earning potential, be confident that Sim Genetics will give you more per head, period. Stand strong, Simmental. And we welcome you back here to the Working Ranch Radio Show. Justin Mills as with you as Clint Berry with Superior Livestock Representative out of Justin, Texas, joining me as he has joined us at other times throughout the last several years uh, to give us a little bit of a recap and an update on, on the markets a bit. And Clint, first of all, I would appreciate you joining us here this morning on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Thanks, Justin. I appreciate it, too. It's always nice to be able to jump on and get to visit a little bit so I'm, I'm glad i could do it well clint both you and i were down in new orleans recently for the 2023 cattle convention one of the uh, general sessions of that was when cattle facts presents a lot of their information uh, both from an economic or weather outlook an economic outlook and then a cattle outlook we're going to focus uh, primarily here today's you and i's discussion on the cattle outlook even though uh, some of the stuff we're going to talk about uh, there's there's some of what they talked about in the economic and the weather outlook that's playing into our cattle markets but first i mean we do know that the markets are, are are trending up and we've seen that and there's indications we're going to continue that purely because of supply and demand but first bless what were your thoughts yeah i i mean overall encouraging uh and i maybe this is the eternal optimist in me some of their projections and, and they're they're conservative by nature i understand that they they need to be right more than they're wrong um you know some of their uh forward projections were a little more conservative than what I was thinking just due to the supply issues that we're that we know that's that's staring in front of us you know we're, we're looking at the smallest cow herd we've had in decades and and we all know that how tight that's going to get but the reality is is we're facing historical input costs that we've not seen in generations and you know the interest rates and the and the operating costs are just are high and they're going to keep part of that in check and the other thing that it, it really drove home to me was just how valuable our export markets truly are, because, uh, you know, the, the totals show around four hundred and fifty plus dollars a carcass regard on every carcass. That's, that includes the ones that don't ship anything overseas. But those export markets are vital for us to stay uh, profitable in this industry. And, and th- those are going to be growing markets. We're going to continue to send more of our product overseas. And. I, I was just encouraged by the long-term outlook um, on where those prices are going to go, especially once we get the current calf crop we have on feed dead that are in the feed yards right now because we are jam-packed full everywhere that I ship cattle to for the last, you know, 12, 18 months. It's been, we've been dealing with pen space issues. So it's, 
once we get through this flush of cattle, this market could really crank up. But but it is going to face some barriers, some ceilings maybe due to the our input costs, depending on how that all shakes out. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the barriers you and I were talking before we were on air here, uh, one of those barriers re- really being the economic numbers that were coming in. And, and as you and I were talking, you know, our our interest rates on these short-term loans are two to three points higher than they were a few years ago. And, you know, you start you start making some some big uh, line of credits out there or whatever that could be. That, that's a lot of dollars that's moving away. In fact, I, I think one of the numbers that I had seen in there is that it's costing the cattle markets upwards of $100 per head, uh, just the inflation yep. numbers. That's right. Yeah, I, I, I noticed that. That jumped out at me, too, when they were presenting that slide. But they, they had uh, shown some data where it was breaking out the cost of interest from on, on cattle from basically point of birth to point of harvest. And, and your number was exactly right. It was slightly over $100 a head attributed to that calf. You know, and that that cost be broken into segments, but that mm-hmm. that you know we don't think about that as producers that that interest costs nearly as much as what we probably should. But a hundred dollars a head from point of life to to the plate is that's a big influencer right now. And 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 don't get me wrong, I mean the supply issue is gonna gonna drive a lot of that, and our wonderful beef demand that we have both domestically and and uh, international is. Is going to keep us keep that engine humming, but it's uh, it's going to be nice to see that leverage swing back into the producer side as we get a little short on cattle. And you know, over the course of the next few years, we're we're going to be increasing hook space with a lot of the announcements and and the funding and the groundbreaking that's been going on on a lot of the you know I would say uh, mid range new packing plants that are coming in and and some of the uh, you know the remodels that are that are adding to the existing ones. I mean, it's it's going to be nice to have a lot more leverage as a producer when it comes to that. That that's for certain. Mm-hmm. And then especially once we start to rebuild this cow herd, which you know, long term weather outlook they gave was 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 encouraging as well too. Yeah. In fact, as you were talking about leverage, that was one of the comments that Randy Block talked about very beginning was that he is seeing leverage shifting to the producers. You touched just briefly there on weather uh, and the weather outlook. Let's talk about that factor that's playing into the markets as we see uh, ahead of us as well. Um, we we see drought, so that has definitely sh- taken the cow numbers down. But also, there's some expenses associated with that too i i one of the things and it was a little surprising to me but i realized the rest of the country maybe wasn't as wet as we were this last year but hay stocks are down quite a bit now that's a number that can turn pretty quick but nevertheless you know in fact this this last weekend i was talking to a neighbor of mine and saying they were getting some hay uh of, of a friend of his into some into some cattle down in southeast wyoming four hundred dollars a ton to deliver in boy that's hard to make much profit there yeah, no kidding. And and we've, you know, really depending on what part of the country and we've been facing this increased pressure on on hay prices, feed prices overall, absolutely for the last 18 months. Um, you know, and, and it, it, it's got a relief valve in certain parts. But, you know, I, I know the Northern Plains kind of got a, a break this year in their moisture in, in most places. Um, but the Southern Plains, however, did not. You know, yeah. they continued to dry up probably worse than it was the year before when it was worse in the north so you know those those supplies have been dwindled and and you know we've been so extremely short on pasture uh conditions in the southern plains to turn cattle out on wheat and stuff like that it's it's really that's part of what's forced all these calves into that feed yard and and driven up those those costs that when it comes to that too so it's Mm -hmm. it's been a real challenge and like you said yeah maybe one of the shortest supplies of hay stocks that we have but like you said, if, if we can get the moisture as it moves into the spring and summer, we can really replenish that fast. And that's really what we're all waiting on is is this change from the La Nina into the El Nino. And listening to the experts, uh, they, they fully feel like that transition is starting, but nobody could nobody would stick their neck out far enough to say if that was going to be this spring or next spring, <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah. but well, the trend is moving our way. So yeah, like, like everybody always says, don't worry, we're one day closer to the rain. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know that was meteorologist Don day that we have on our show a couple of weeks or so ago, I had him on and we were talking about, and, and I, I was pretty forward with him. I said, what happened last year with, with, you know, how did so many meteorologists get it wrong? I mean, it looked like we were going to be going out of La Nina last summer 
summer and it never happened and and uh, and now they're really tentative they're real conservative on any, any predictions other than the fact they all have a come to an agreement that we're moving out of that one more factor i want to talk about on the economic side of things and i think in the next segment coming up and following that one we'll get into some more of the cash or the cattle numbers but one other thing and i know you have a lot of cattle out there as well so i think you'd have a good idea on this their prediction is this corn is going to be pretty stable this next year and of course there's a lot of a lot of prices that are indexed off of corn and or of course and of course corn is part of the feed the feed process as well so um that that stayed pretty stable which i thought you know was good anytime you're st- there's some stability it gives some some assurance just because we know where it's going to be at but were you surprised by the corn number at all no i i i picked up on that too you know what as a cattleman, you'd, you'd like to see them numbers get back out of the sixes and, and fives and back down into threes and fours. But the reality is, is that that's not the world we're going to live in. Um, you know, we're, we're utilizing corn and, and just like everything, we're, we're exporting corn and, and those markets are, are good for us, too. I understand that as corn producers are out there. But, you know, we're especially under administration that relies as heavily on renewable fuels and stuff that that demand is probably not going to lessen. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the cost of production, just like what we were just talking about on the ca- on the cattle side, is is that way with our farmers too. So I mean, I, I I'm like you. I'm glad to see it kind of stabilize. If you know, if you just sitting here today, if you pull the board up and look at it, you know, basically we've got prices from five to six bucks on every month between now and July of 25. So uh, and that that can drastically change. We all know that, but th- that's the kind of Maybe at least we're moving into, you said the word right, maybe we're at least moving into a, st- a more stable type of projection than what we've been dealing with the last 18 months. You bet, yeah. And that uh, Mike Murphy d- gave the economic outlook on that for cattle facts. He was showing those prices to be, you know, for a fall of this next year, around five to five and a half. So that futures prices you're saying kind of falling right in that in that timeline. Clint Berry yeah. is my guest here today. He is with Superior Livestock, uh, represented for Superior Livestock. We are going to come back with him more. We've, we've got a lot more to talk about we've yet to really get into some of the cattle numbers that came out from that cattle facts uh, report that came out at the 2023 cattle convention i've got more questions for him some things i was surprised with for example uh beef on dairy and the amount of uh, uh, cattle that we're seeing uh, coming in that that's a question we're going to talk about when we come back you're listening to the working ranch radio show Don't keep your cow-calf herd data in a notebook. Keep it in the cloud with Performance Ranch and say so long to decoding handwritten notes. Performance Ranch is an easy-to-use app that simplifies record-keeping and makes decision-making easier. Keep track of herd inventory, monitor health records, and manage costs all from your iPad or iPhone. Group texting important herd data? Delete it. Use Performance Ranch instead. Go to performancelivestockanalytics.com and be the first to know when Performance Ranch is ready to launch. And we welcome you back here to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills. My guest today, Clint Berry with Superior Livestock joining us. He's out of Justin, Texas, uh, represents cattle all over the country and has been doing it for quite some time. And I appreciate him joining us as I think he brings uh, a lot of knowledge to the table here in terms of the amount of cattle in the country that he covers. So, again, Clint, thanks for joining us here. I want to get into uh, some other factors. In the first segment, we were talking a little bit about some of the underlying factors like economics and the weather that has played into our market. Outlook. Uh, you and I both set in on uh, down at the cattle convention in New Orleans uh, on Cattle Facts's report that they gave in the second general session. I want to get into a couple other things, and and I, I led into this in the break, and that is beef on dairy. It's been happening for uh, quite some time, as they said in 2014. It was pretty much a non-existent market. Here in 2022, this last year, 2.6 million head. That really surprised me. Yeah, it's. Uh that number's continuing to grow, and I don't, I don't see, I don't see that trend changing. Um, I mean, the reality is, is jokingly, they're, they're, you know, we're talking about beef on dairy, but the reality is, there's the 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 limiting factor there is there's not really dairy on dairy anymore. Mm-hmm. That's just the that's the the real reality of the world, and and uh, you know that's a that's a good thing in in terms of production, um, especially for the dairy guys. I mean, they've they've added a lot of value to those. Uh, those feeder cattle that, that used to be say straight Holsteins, mm-hmm. they've added a lot of value to those feeder cattle. They've cut a lot of cost out of that cattle too, to, to increase that value. Um, but, but the reality is, is the headcount numbers 
are not that different. I mean, our dairy herd is not yeah. massively exploding in size and we're not flooding the market with beef on dairy calves. The reality is we're just replacing the, the, the poorly efficient from a beef standpoint, the poorly efficient Holstein calves with beef on dairy calves. So they're mm-hmm. now half Angus or Sim Angus or Red Angus or whatever it may be onto a whole, those Holstein females through the use of AI. And so it, 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 now it is increasing our, our beef. Mm-hmm. You know, we, let's separate the two commodities for a second. Head count wise, overall cattle that we're killing, you know, yes, the, the big climb in beef on dairy calves is up, but they're simply replacing what was dairy on dairy calves. Yeah. Um, however, the cutability of those cattle and the efficiency that we're getting them dead in is increasing the beef supply that we're getting from that same headcount. And that's that's where that real value comes in. I mean, you, you know, you watch like our superior livestock auctions and stuff when we're selling those beef on dairy calves. And, and I'm going to use a big round number here, but I, I bet I'm pretty close after, you know, watching mm-hmm. specifically the last two or three years of data here. But we've probably added 25 to 35% of value on the beef on dairy calves and what used to be a Holstein on Holstein. And that's, that's real money for those producers that are out there too. And, and I, I think that's a positive, you, you know, I've had a lot of what we, you know, a lot of times we call them native calves, but beef, you know, straight beef breed cattle. And I've had a lot of customers, you know, ask about that, if that was going to hurt the market, but it, it's only enhanced it. I mean, it's only helped us fill that supply for our increased market share that we're, you know, as, as beef is the center of the protein world. And that's, that's only a good thing in my terms, you know, making that animal more efficient, getting more tonnage out of it, which is exactly why we do everything we do. I mean, we're feeding the world with more beef and we got less cows. So that's, that's the whole point. Mm-hmm. Something else. And I want to, we'll get back to imports here in a little bit. Cause I was going to lead into that question, but as you were talking about that, because t- as, as, as you say, we haven't really replaced the numbers of, of calves out there. I mean, it's just, instead of, instead of just straight dairy calves, they're now a half breed of some sort. Um, right. We've seen, in retail prices, we've seen the choice select spread really a big gap in there. Is there any tie to some of that? Am, am I or am I reading that the wrong way? Yeah, no, I, I think I think that could be that could easily be part of it. Um, I think the biggest reason for that that spread is consumers want choice beef. Mm-hmm. I mean, but let's be fair; nobody's really interested in eating a select, especially at, at the kind of prices you have to pay at the grocery store and retail counter. Um, who, who wants to eat a I mean, you know, you get talking about if you're a good cook and can make a select sirloin, that's one thing, but who wants a select filet, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. uh, who wants, I mean, outside of fajita meat, I'm not really that interested. I don't even cook select briskets and, you know, yeah. as a big guy, I know how to cook a brisket, <laughs> but I, I think that's, you know, that's, I think that choice select spread is more of an indication of where we are as as consumers, mm-hmm. be, especially as we came back off of the COVID stuff. I mean, you know, if you think back when that launched and people got locked at home and we were shutting down restaurants and stuff, I mean, we were scared to death about how we were going to move that product. And, and especially at an inflated price due to, due to those kind of, those kind of reasons. And, but what we figured out is the American consumer, and, you know, I'm not even talking export here, that the American consumer was more than happy to pay, more money for good product and you know that it, it just it just helped show us what maybe our real value for that beef was and and the the steady demand that we can hold internally and that that was a good thing but the other thing it showed was how much more people were really interested in having a, a choice or higher and and honestly i think that's why you see the premiums you do is on the on the upper two-thirds choice and primes over that you know that's Choices becoming the standard, not the, not you know not select, and and that year I think that trend is going to continue, especially domestically. Mm-hmm. You know, outside of our borders, people cook food differently than we do. They cook beef differently yeah. than we do. I mean, you know, we beef check off, and and the exporters that have have moved product into the Asian markets that you know they're still doing their primary uh, their primary challenge is teaching people how not to boil beef to yeah. make it. You know, so yeah. I mean, it's it's different in different parts of the world for certain, but I, I don't see that trend really going away. Um, and and the nice thing, I guess, for us as cattlemen, that probably makes me feel the most confident is the fact that it shows that we're not going to flood the market with better cattle. 
we're going to get rewarded for the better cattle that hang the better carcasses that grade better and that that's a good thing for all of us as, as cow calf and feeders is you know we're actually going to get paid for the better product and i'm i'm good with that yeah yeah well and that was something that randy uh, block had said at the very end is he says you know starting to see these genetics paying off a bit so real quick before we jump into another deal here let's talk about imports exports something that was interesting to me was that uh that uh they said live cattle imports are down but beef sure. imports for example out of mexico are up and that's an interesting dilemma there yeah and i i think if you if you step back and look at it from a you know an elevated position and look at the numbers it it starts to make sense though okay so we've got x number of cattle inside the you know whatever that number is that you want to center on we've got x number of cattle being raised internally in the u.s we've got a basically consistent demand for our product domestically and we've got a growing export market, mm-hmm. but we're not creating any more cattle. It, yes, we're, you know, we've talked about efficiencies and beef on dairy and getting a few more pounds of beef and all that. But, and then on top of that, our, our two biggest trading partners, Canada and Mexico, have, have got their chains and their kill plants up and running. Canada or Mexico's got new updated plants and they're killing more cattle at home. Can, Canada's, I, I ship a lot of calves out of the northern region that go to Canada and get finished up there in, in their plants. Mm-hmm. They're American calves that get sent up there and get finished. And, you know, used to be nearly everything that went up there came right back down to us to get killed at least. It might be finished up there and then hauled over and killed. And, and so you're seeing some of that change. And that's, to me, that, that perfectly explains where those numbers are reflecting that live cattle imports are down, um, imports of beef. And, mm-hmm. and 90% of everything we we bring into the country is lean for trim, which predominantly comes from Australia and New Zealand and Mexico. Um, that's our, that's our big piece that we add to our fat overly fat, I guess I would say hamburger grind is to lean that up. You know, mm-hmm. that's the additive in the 90 or 80 or 70 in the rolls that you see. And, and so I, I, and I fully expect that to continue because if I can, if I can ship more tongue at the price of what fillets are in an American grocery store, if I can ship more tongue to the Asian markets or tripes or cheap meats or offals or anything else, I would gladly bring in Australian grind or Mexican grind trim to add to ours mm-hmm. to make our hamburger because that profitability wise for an American producer, that's, that's a win all the way around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it it was an interesting thing. And we continue to see a lot of demand uh, from an export in China, Korea, and a small increase in Japan. And and that export market is pretty critical for us. Yes, sir. Yeah, I I think, you know, if if I had one scare of us looking forward, it it would be maintaining and making sure that we have access to those export markets because we we can't take a hit from being shut out of an export market. And that's that's really centered around disease traceability and, and and keeping uh, open free trade agreements, you know, with uh, with those partnering countries. That's it's critical for us long term. We have to think about moving product outside of our borders mm-hmm. to really capture that full value. Mm-hmm. And a couple of those countries I mentioned, there's some political unrest uh, and issues that we've had, and one more recently with a balloon. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, uh, Clint Berry is my guest today. We're going to continue when we come back. We're going to get into some of the uh, predictions that they have for the prices and the, and the markets there. When we come back, we'll get into that when we return here on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Cattle producers, here's a way to put more dollars in your pocket. Put the Amifirm advantage found in all Gain Smart Mineral to work in your cow herd. Amifirm is the industry leader in increasing fiber digestion. In fact, research shows putting Amifirm to work increases forage utilization by 10%, reducing overall forage costs and allowing you to graze more animals per acre. That's a big time return on your investment. To find which GainSmart mineral formula is right for your herd, visit GainSmart.com. 
And we welcome you back here to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills as we're recapping the uh, recent Cattle Facts report that came out uh, during the 2023 Cattle Convention. Joining me here today uh, to do this is Clint Berry with Superior Livestock. He reps a lot of cattle across the country. When I say across the country, I mean across the country. I'm not saying just because he's based out of Justin, Texas. I know there's a lot of cattle down in Texas, but he's all over. If you watch him on Facebook, he'll be in Idaho one weekend, and the next weekend he's headed to Kansas and down to Oklahoma and and various things. So, Clint, I appreciate you joining us here today. Uh, We've talked quite a bit about some factors that have affected this, affected our markets. Now let's get into our our cattle markets. And one of the things that I that kind of caught my attention is Randy Block with Cattlefax. When he come back on the stage, he said, be ready. He said, with supply stocks and unprecedented volatility and price spreads on feeders. Just my notes on that real quick. And I think the thing that I pulled away from that is, is that... Be ready when when this market uh, when we when as you were saying when we kind of get through this set of cattle that are in there now there's a lot of there's going to be a lot of uh, places for this market to go to. Yeah, he he cautioned and his whole team, but Randy drove that point home that highly likely we're going to see the some of the most volatile times ahead of us as we move forward because of the influence factors are just seem to be higher than what we've ever faced. I mean, we've got interest higher than what we've ever faced and input costs and fuel and fertilizer and, and export markets. And, you know, the, the, the volatility that these cattle could jump $30 a hundred weight is highly more likely or, or $10 on the live, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that he was stressing and it made a lot of sense, you know, to me, but that we're going to have to manage that risk you know, this is probably not going to be a time the next few years that we should put our heads in the sand and hope it all works out. I mean, when we've got a chance to lock up, you know, whether that's through some risk management strategies or, or you know, a lot of a lot of things like L- LRP or mm-hmm. some things like that, a, a good chance for us as producers to lock in some some strong, stable profits here and, and take advantage of that because it's the volatility could be big swings and that's that's scary because yeah. we've had some big swings you know <laughs> yeah. and we've seen some crazy things that i never thought we'd see but he did warn about that you yeah. know that that the direction that we're going and the, the way things are that that we could definitely face those kind of things you bet uh, real quick one more thing uh and that was shackle space so something that kind of caught my attention a little bit is that you know with a lot of these new plants coming online in 24 and 25 and some of the remodels that we're seeing uh that's coming at the time when they project the, the supplies are going to be the tightest and i thought that was yeah. an interesting comment yeah no kidding no kidding i mean we we come from a, a point where we were struggling with, with shackles, but don't get me wrong. We're, you know, it's, it, it's a wonderful thing that for us as producers that we're adding this, I, I don't mean anything when I yeah, say, yeah. you know, I'm not diminishing that fact. Heck, this is what we've been fighting for for yeah. a long time, but, but it is a little ironic that we're fixing to run into one of the smallest calf crops, especially if the moisture does come and we start retaining heifers mm-hmm. and, and that's going to be a real struggle, especially for some of the newer ones that, that, uh, particularly if they haven't got locked up on the backside to contract their cattle out the door, you know, that's going to be a, that's going to be a big factor. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out because, you know, the, the Packers are not going to play nice with each other when they get to struggling over fighting for the cattle, which is good yeah. for us as producers. You know, <laughs> yeah. I just don't want to lose it. I mean, my big fear, I guess, is I'm, I don't want to lose any shackle space. Yeah. You know, I don't want to see anything go get shut down and idled just because we brought a new plan up, I'd like to, to see us be able to secure those numbers and stay there. And, and I, I mean, they'll work their way out. I, they don't need any help. They're, they're usually more aggressive and stronger businessmen than most, most cattle guys are. That's, that's what they do for a living. But mm-hmm. I'm, I'm excited to see it come online and see it work its way out and, and where that goes from there. Cause you know, the additions in Nebraska and, and Texas and, you know, other places is, is really going to add to our strength as producers to, to capture more of that value from the, the beef retail side. Yeah. 
Let's get into the prices now. And Clint, I think we'll just kind of go through some of these different classes and I'll have you comment on, on your thoughts on it a little bit. We've got about four or five different classes of cattle here that we'll go through uh, everywhere from feeders all the way up to cull cow and bread cow. So first of all, let's start at our steers at our, at our uh, five and a half weight steers. Last year, uh, they estimated ca- average price to be at about a buck 96, 100 weight. This 2023 year, they're looking at a buck and a quarter or excuse me, $2 and 25 cents, a hundred weight. Uh, what's your thoughts on that yeah and and i i think that makes sense we, we saw that trend i would tell you that of the cattle we sold on superior last year that followed those kind of numbers i mean we probably added somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 to 20 percent on the on the value of calves last year and i i would fully expect with our numbers down that we easily could add those kind of numbers just like what that's reflecting as we move forward so that that doesn't surprise me in the least bit. I think there's still potential for that spread to be wide. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some of them cattle are going to be $15 under that those kind of quotes, and some of them are going to be $15 over, and that's going to depend on the value-added pieces that we add to those cattle. Um, you know, everything from how they're managed to, to maybe what they've got access into some other programs on. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Real quick while we're here, uh, and you and I have even had a program specifically on this, but uh, is, is there more return? Are we starting to see a little bit more value in these uh, program cattle? Yes, <clears throat> we keep we keep adding value to them. I, I always I always caution here, and I'm, it's funny you said that because I'm working on an outreach effort to my customer base. It, it's it's very specific to the to the operation. You know, I always tell guys, don't let the tail wag the dog. So don't make management decisions solely based on marketing. Build your marketing program around your management decisions. So what what works in one operation may not work exactly for the neighbor in the same way. So just mm-hmm. just eyes wide open when you make those decisions. And the thing I'm going to stress is you move into the like specifically you're referring to the ver- the third party yeah. verified programs yeah. there is great upside on them but but understand when you move into those programs that is an opportunity for those prices it's not a guarantee and and you you just got to understand that as so if if you can if your existing management allows you to fit in those programs then i wholeheartedly encourage you to take advantage of that if you have to change your management to fit in them, then that, that's going to get specific to you and your program and your family, your crew on how much of that you want to give up or do to adjust and adapt to them. But but just know that if we spit out this number, that's not a guarantee that you're going to get it. But I'll promise you, if you're not doing those programs, it's a guarantee that you're not going to get it. That's yeah. the only thing yeah. that I can tell you. It's an opportunity, not a promise. Yeah. You bet. Uh, let's move on to the next class: uh, eight hundred pound steers. Uh, and maybe we, we've we've maybe we've already broached this a little bit talking about these five and a half weights. But last year they averaged buck sixty six, a hundred weight. Two thousand twenty three, they're looking at a buck ninety five with a you know anywhere from a buck seventy five up to two fifteen on the top end. So averaging that out yeah. at about buck buck ninety five. Any comments there? Yeah, yeah. How crazy does that sound? But but the most sought after <laughs> cattle in all of the industry and always have been. And, and I would will always will be i mean that's the least risk on the animal it's the closest to slaughter time so your 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 time frame in the market's less i mean that's that's one of the fastest ways to add the most amount of money is to in essence background those cattle and get them get them to a weight range like that 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 more guys can handle and reduce the labor on their side because just like us on their farm and ranch, I mean, feeders are dealing with labor issues just like everybody else in this country. Mm-hmm. I was so encouraged to see him say to put a, a big two in front of some of those numbers. Yeah. That, that was that yeah. was nuts. I mean, you, you think about that. We're talking $1,600, $1,700 feeder steers if those projections hit. Yeah. Granted, we're also <laughs> talking all-time highs and expenses to get them there. Yeah. But, wow, you know, what is that upside? And, yeah. and you know, the, in January, we sold some eight weights and nine weights in the 180s and 190s. Yeah. So, I mean, we're, we're realizing those moderate projections right now. And I, I think come the end of the summer or this summer, yeah, you're going to see some $2 conventionally fed $2 you know, feeders. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I do. Yeah, that is crazy. I agree. Uh, let's, let's go up to the next set of cattle and that's your fed cattle, uh, figuring about a buck 58 on an average here, 270 on a car, on a cutout, uh, expected to see the lows as we typically do that July, August timeframe and the highs in November, December. Any surprises on that? 
the only thing there is, is I was a little surprised to me that that was where the, the conservative numbers came in. And we're, we're terrible about this. This is our, one of our worst habits. We buy on the come all the time, yeah. you know, on the, in the feeder cattle market, we buy on the come and, and most cow calf producers, most stockers, they always want to talk about the feeder calf price, but that money really comes from the live market. The live board has more pressure. In my opinion, the live board has more long-term pressure on the price of cattle than anything, because that's what the feeder gets paid. And and when they were spitting out numbers that we're currently trading on today as future projections, I just don't see how that math is going to handle and work there. That's where I, I'm hoping that they're wrong. And instead of 160, I'm hoping we're seeing closer to 170 yeah. on markets. We, we continue to butt up against the 165 April board as we're talking. And I feel like if we could ever blow past the 165 in April, we could move a lot of these markets into 160 to 165 on the latter markets. And we really need to do that. Those high price cattle that we talked about that sold this summer that I said, you mm-hmm. know, we're 15, 20, 25% up in value. That live board needs to follow that kind of trend or, or the feeders are going to have a hard time giving those numbers that we just got optimistic about moving forward because everybody's got to make a little money. And, and I'm telling you, $2.08 weights is not going to make money at 160 live weights. Yeah. That's that's not going to happen. And so if we don't get above those projections that they were saying on the live cattle, I don't see how we're ever going to get to those upper end projections on the feeder cattle. It just they just can't. I mean there won't be Yeah. There's just too much cost there. Yeah, that makes sense if you kind of work those numbers back down. Clint, we just got a little time here. We'll get a couple things here. Uh, Coal cow market, uh, last year they figured that was about $80, 100 weight on the coal cows. This year expecting it to be average around $100 with the highs in those summer months. Let's move on to yeah. the to the bread cow market. Last year was about seventeen seventy five is what they figured. I'd, I'd fully expect that bread cow market to be pushing upwards in that 2000 easily this next year, wouldn't you think? Yeah, absolutely. If we get a little moisture and start to rebuild this cow herd with the opportunity at some of those prices we've been discussing, it's going to incentivize some guys to at least build back, maybe, maybe not growing their market, their their operations, but at least build back to, to you know, manageable numbers. And, and once we start retaining heifers, this thing's going to get crazy. You know, we, we've killed like, I believe, eight or nine of the last nine months we've been killing more females than males that mm-hmm. tells you that yep. nobody kept a heifer anywhere in the country yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, that when that starts to change that bread cow market and, and we might i think we're going to see some prices as we get into this spring because there is moisture in a lot of parts of the country and if it'll hold through the summer i think by the time we get to the fall bread cow market there could be 500 dollars added on a lot of them cattle yeah um I, I see a big opportunity there, which is a long-term strategy for us as producers to think about if you're looking to add to your cow herd, you know, I think we're right at that cusp where it's, we're going to put a lot of value on them real quick. Mm-hmm. You bet. Well, Clint, I appreciate you joining us. We're running out of time here need to keep moving along, but I, I appreciate your comments and your insight on this. I think it's very valuable because uh, uh, like I said before, uh, you see a lot of cattle. So I appreciate you joining us. Yes, sir. I'm happy anytime. I appreciate getting to talk. You bet. And folks, of course, uh, you know, Clint, if they do want to get a hold of you, uh, I know they can go to Superior Livestock's page and find contact uh, information for you. I know you're on social media as well. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Absolutely. Absolutely. And again, Clint Berry, our guest today, joining us on our program as we rehash from uh, returning back from the 2023 cattle convention that took place down in New Orleans, Louisiana, and the uh, report given out by Cattle Facts, definitely showing some indications that our markets are going to look pretty favorable here for the next several years for our cattle industry. But yet at the same time, some of the margins might be staying relatively uh, the same, due in the fact that we do see inflation having having an impact on our interest rates and other factors uh, when it comes to input costs and so forth. But by and large, uh, for the most part, a fairly favorable report for all of us. By the way, as I said before, uh, Clint uh, is a Superior Livestock Rep. You can find his contact information. If you go to superiorlivestock.com, you can find him there. Also, kind of keep track of what the sales are doing on Superior Livestock as well. It's a good place to go and find that as well. Stay with us when we come back. Meteorologist Don Day joins us as we take a look at our long-term weather for looking at the latter half here of February. We'll be back with more on the Working Ranch Radio Show after this. 
the next generation for a productive lifetime with Zinpro Avela 4. Achieve productive success in your cows with 20% increased conception rate and a 16-day tighter calving interval. Calves from cows supplemented with Zinpro hit the ground running with improved immunity and 28 more pounds at weaning. Allow your cows and calves to perform to their full potential with Zinpro Avela 4. And we welcome you back here to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm joined now by meteorologist Don Day with a look at our long-term weather. And Don, before we look at uh, what we're going to be seeing here for the next 10 days or so, let's get a, a La Nina update because you say there has been some movement that is showing that we are truly fading out and uh, giving us some promising information there. Yeah, a couple of things here that has recently occurred. Number one is that the the depth of the cold water in the subtropical Pacific, um, you know, it's not, we always talk about sea surface temperatures on top of the water, which is important, but it's also how deep those colder temperature anomalies go. And we started to see a slow decrease in the thickness of the cold water um, late November and December. But over the last few weeks, we've actually seen the cold water near the surface uh, begin to mix up with some warmer water temperatures just off the coast of western uh, areas of South America. And this is important because with those warmer temperatures getting up towards the top of the water, that's going to start to change wind patterns, which in turn eventually begin to put an end to La Nina. So that's an encouraging sign. We're seeing that. We also got a new set of data in from the European Modeling Center uh, that makes what is called a seasonal forecast of sea surface temperatures. And while the modeling is probably overdone in terms of how fast things are gonna change, the trend changing towards uh, La Nina going away and going into a neutral status by uh, probably late March or early April is is certainly on the table, mm-hmm. potentially being a weak El Nino by late summer or fall. Uh, we're in in the time of year where there's a little bit of um, nuance in the modeling. It has a difficult time this time of year as it leaves winter into spring. But we are continuing to be more and more encouraged that uh, we'll be able to put the La Nina to bed here soon. Okay. Uh, well, that, I think from everybody's standpoint, they <laughs> probably nice to see this this era move down and become history. And I'm sure there will be a lot of a lot of data. That's the thing, too. There's going to be a lot of data pulled from what we saw the last three or four years, I'm guessing, for looking at future forecasting. Absolutely. What you want to look at is is that what happened when you left a multi-year La Nina and shifted into a warmer pattern out there in the tropical Pacific. And the the analog suggests that, and, and this is what we've been encouraging folks to say, that if we can get rid of La Nina, that is encouraging in terms of more precipitation for the western United States and uh, parts of the central U.S., and especially uh, spring and summer if the timing can stay the same. So the historical trends say we should go into a wetter weather pattern. Now, some parts of the West, we've seen that already with the big precipitation events that have happened in California and some of the Western states with the, the much above normal snowpack. But we need to have that trend continue into the big spring months because the big months for precipitation for the central and western states at least Mm -hmm. really begin in march and go through june those are the four wettest months of the year now other parts of the country have have different uh, obviously times of year that are more wet but in areas where the drought is the worst uh, you look at kansas you look at nebraska you look at uh, parts of texas and oklahoma uh, where there's still very severe drought conditions those are the areas i think will benefit the most mm-hmm. you bet well let's bring it back a little bit here and let's look out for the next couple of weeks uh, we've had kind of some weather here lately that's been up and down i mean we have some nice days and then a squall will go through in different parts of the country uh, kind of some fast moving storms going through but as we start to look uh, out into the latter part of february kind of showing potentially and i know there's still a lot of things that have to be determined but we could be seeing some cold weather coming back in yeah, it is certainly looking that way. Um, we are going to be looking at the second half of February and probably through the first three weeks of March, more often than not, a colder weather pattern across the lower 48 states. And I think eventually it'll it'll be all of the U.S. that has uh, over the next, let's, let's say the next six or seven weeks, there's plenty of opportunity for 
parts of the United States that haven't seen a lot of snow this winter to get some snow. We're going to see that this weekend in the in the mountains of Virginia and North Carolina. Um, and we are also going to see the potential for more Arctic air to spread into the United States. Uh, twice this winter, we've had what are called stratospheric warming events. Um, and sometimes you, you can go through the winter without having one. Sometimes you can go through a winter with having two or three or four. Well, we've had two already, and these have been associated with some of the bigger cold outbreaks this winter season across, especially the central and western United States. Well, we're seeing signs of another one of these stratospheric warming events taking place here over the next couple of weeks. And if that happens, cold air will get displaced out of the higher latitudes and into Canada and the lower 48 states. So if you see this type of pattern, it's overall, it's a cold signal. And if you're going to get into a cold signal in late February and into the first three weeks of March, well, you're going to have some uh, odds of, of precipitation. And a lot of that could be in the form of snow. So uh, for you folks who love winter, there's more for you. <laughs> for those of you who are saying that this winter has gone on long enough, uh, you're not going to like the forecast, mm -hmm. that's for sure. Well, and one of the things I've realized too, as we've talked about, especially when we get into the springtime of the year, is if you want moisture, you're going to have to have cooler weather because uh, warmer weather doesn't typically bring about a lot of moisture. That's I guess that's something I pulled away. I was thinking about the other day a little bit when last spring you were talking about, well, it's going to be cooler. Well, that was also brought a little bit more moisture. So it's kind of a double-edged sword. This cooler weather in the springtime, uh, early summer of the year is usually an, an indication of more wetter weather. Right. For many areas you're going to be the most wet uh, when it is colder uh, because when the air gets colder, when these storms and these fronts come in, the change in temperature to warmer to colder is what helps create the physical processes to generate rain and snow. Um, you know, you could certainly say, well, I got a lot of rain in that big thunderstorm in, in May or June or July. Well, yeah, mm -hmm. uh, that's a summertime thunderstorm. Uh, but the bigger areas of heavier precipitation that covers widespread areas. You know, these larger storms that you get towards the end of winter and spring that are so important, uh, you're going to get cold weather with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right, Don. Well, appreciate it. Thanks for the update on La Nina and look forward to talking to you next week. Stay warm. All right. And again, that was meteorologist Don Day with a look at our long-term weather. You can go to his website for his daily video podcast at dayweather.com. And like I've said before, too, if you're looking for a weather station or some other uh, things along those lines, I encourage you to check that out as well. Stay with us. When we come back, we'll put a wrap on this week's show. When we come back on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Do you have a young child, grandchild, niece, or nephew that loves the weather and wants to learn more? Day Weather has produced a children's weather journal full of weather facts, fun weather experiments, coloring pages, and pages to record weather observations for every season of the year. The weather journal is for ages 3 to 7 and designed to be fun and educational. The interactive weather projects are fun for the whole family to take part in. For only $10, the Day Weather Weather Journal is a great gift idea for any occasion. Click on our Amazon link to order at dayweather.com. I want to remind you, if you didn't get a chance to listen to last week's show, really good as we were talking about uh, the things you need to consider if you're looking at moving your ranching operation. Maybe you're moving uh, quite a ways across the country, or maybe it's just 100, 150 miles away. As I heard from a listener, Luke Jessup out of Oklahoma, saying, you know, he moved 150 miles away, and just the difference in precipitation made dramatic difference into how he has to ranch uh, currently where he's at. So I encourage you to go and listen to last week's episode, episode 104 of the Working Ranch Radio Show. Coming up on next week's show, we've covered this topic before. We're, we're really going to dive into it, and this from a commercial rancher's perspective is we're going to be talking about DNA testing as Bruce Mershon out of uh, the Jackson County area of Missouri will be joining us. He uh, runs a pretty large-scale operation, so I'm interested to hear his perspective on DNA testing for a lot of us as the commercial side of the business. I want to thank our sponsor today, American Simmental Association. 
Association. To find out more, go to their website at Simmental.org. The Working Ranch Radio Show is a production of Working Ranch Magazine, branded number one by America's Ranchers. By the way, be looking for the latest issue coming out in your mailbox if you don't already have it. If you want to shoot me an email, you can do that at justin.workingranch at gmail.com. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Justin Mills. And until next time, keep your chin down and your mind in the middle. So long. 